Samoa has now been independent from its former colonial ruler, New Zealand, for 50 years. But what has it achieved in that time? And will the strong links with New Zealand continue? For this Insight programme, Radio New Zealand's Pacific Issues correspondent Karen Mangnell has been speaking to community leaders in Auckland. And Philippa Tolley travelled to Apia as Samoa threw itself into celebration mode while remembering the past. There can be no moment of greater significance in the life of a people than this, the attainment of nationhood. Western Samoa is now a fully independent, sovereign state. And a new era in the history of the South Pacific has begun. On the 1st of January 1962, New Zealand's then Prime Minister Keith Holyoke lowered his nation's flag and spoke of an orderly and harmonious transfer of power. Fifty years later, and dignitaries and leaders from around Polynesia are being welcomed in the capital Apia for Independence Day celebrations. On the 1st of June, just over a week ago, thousands of people got up at dawn to make their way to Parliament grounds to celebrate the Jubilee in an official ceremony before five days of festivities. Samoa's head of state, Tua Tua Tupua Tamasese Efi, described the occasion as a momentous day. Today we come together from far and wide as children and friends of Samoa to take pause, bear witness, reflect on and share in the maturity of our nation. And acknowledge the past. On each Independence Day we remember the pain, the heartache, the anger and the struggles our forebears went through to achieve the independence we now enjoy. Samoa's flag was raised by the only surviving member of the Constitutional Convention of 1962. It was then the turn of an estimated 13 to 15,000 school, church, work and cultural groups to march past a stand full of leaders, officials and representatives of neighbouring countries. Afa, the daughter of Samoa's founding Prime Minister, believes her father would be pleased at what his country has achieved in the last five decades. Probably thankful that we've survived the 50 years um, and being able to retain stability. I mean, we see around our region uh, spots of instability. So I think that's something um, he would have appreciated. He was a leader that, that took things at a slow pace to uh, just ensure that all the people understood what the, you know, the requirements of independence was 
the infrastructure of government becoming accustomed to it. Among the dignitaries in Samoa for the historic occasion was New Zealand's Governor-General, Lieutenant-General Sir Jerry Mataparai. He thinks our peer is leading the way for the Pacific. I do think that Samoa stands as a beacon in, in the Pacific about how you know, life can be, can be in terms of you know, holding to their cultural values but also you know, the democratic norms and values that you know, people are aspiring to. That combination of tradition and democracy has created in Samoa its own form of government. At independence, only matais or chiefs could stand for parliament and vote. Universal suffrage was not introduced until as late as 1990, and then only for those aged 21 and over. Fiamme says as Samoa continues to grow, its people may want to change who is allowed to be an MP. I do see a time when I think there will be sufficient confidence you know, that whether you're a Matai or not a Matai, you know, you'll be able to make your contribution to the, the leadership of the country. But then, you know, this is Samoa and that's what our society is, so maybe it's not such an issue. Samoa's Prime Minister, Tuilepa Selele Malealengaoi, is confident his country is heading in the right direction. I think we have made a lot of improvements, infrastructure, and of course the uh, standard of living has risen considerably. Tualaipa says the strength of connection between New Zealand and Samoa is undeniable. I always think, regardless of good relationship with Australia and other countries, I still maintain that we have a very, very, very special bond with New Zealand. Uh, and New Zealand should not treat us like other smaller island countries where New Zealand didn't have any special relationship for in the past. The other important point is to, to consider that we have a massive uh, population of Samoans in New Zealand and are contributing also. Um, um, this is the kind of thing that I, uh, that I have in mind, that you just can't uh, throw away uh, the fact that Samoa was guided by the New Zealand leaders very carefully to the formation of its own government. And the New Zealand leaders ought to be very proud that the product of their uh, stewardship turned out to be a very solid, peaceful and stable country. Rather than standing still, Tuia Tuatapua Tamasisi Efi speaks of the links between Samoa and New Zealand developing. Bound to grow. I, I've grown. I mean, I used to be a Kiwi basher and I've grown out of it. But this is part of uh, what we're celebrating. The relationship between the two countries, Sir Jerry believes, is one that benefits both. It's very much making our way together through the Pacific. And it's showing that you know, a relationship between you know, New Zealand and its Pacific neighbours can be a productive one. It can be one that is based not only on the, the heritage that we share and the people-to-people -people links, but the economics of living in this place which is quite separated from many of our markets. So it's, I think it's really about you know, how we can improve the lot of our peoples both here and, and at home, and how we can you know, make a real difference in the world. And, and you, know, you look at what um, Samoa is doing in the Pacific. It, it is showing that you, know, you can have a vibrant democratic state
in the Pacific, which can provide an example for others outside of the Pacific. And I think that that's neat. In Auckland, my colleague Karen Mangnall has been speaking to the community and its leaders there to find where they think the relationship between the two nations is heading. The students, parents and staff at the Samoan Bilingual Unit at Kofi Intermediate in Auckland celebrate 50 years of Samoa's independence. Today marks the 50th independence of our country, Samoa. We are also privileged to acknowledge the victorious efforts of our ancestors who fought for their country's independence. Samoan bilingual units at schools and the many more Aonga Amata Samoan language preschools around New Zealand are evidence of the enduring cultural and family ties between the two countries. Ties built up since thousands of Samoans immigrated here in the 1950s to 1970s to work in factories and to build roads and dams. In 51, I was five years old. There were about 3,000 Pacific Islanders throughout New Zealand, the bulk of them in Auckland. Life back then for Anai Arthur Anai and for most Samoan immigrant families was based in Ponsonby and revolved around the Pacific Islanders Congregational Church in Newton. We used to finish school and head straight back to church. That would help us through our homework and all the things we had to do and our choir practices and we were timed to come home about five o'clock because knowing both parents were working to try and make it in New Zealand. That was the cycle then. And the humongous growth that we've had, that was our centre point. When Papa Li'i Peter Taoma arrived as a scholarship student in 1958, he found fellow Samoan migrants doing their best to blend in, speaking with a strong Kiwi twang and dressing in European clothes. It wasn't until the 1970s that we were comfortable enough be able to wear lava lava and run around in K Road because K Road was our street at, at that particular stage uh, and people didn't mind but before that well lava lava would get told off. But the change since then has been enormous. Samoan is now the third most widely spoken language in New Zealand. At the last census more than 130,000 residents claimed Samoan descent most born in New Zealand. Samoan communities have shifted from the inner city to the south and west of Auckland and to cities and towns around the country. Anai Arthur Anai, a former National Party MP who is now an Auckland councillor, says the 50th anniversary of Samoa's independence is a time to celebrate the vision and hard work of those early migrants. Their children and grandchildren are now in the professions and are owners of their own businesses. They've become leaders in arts and sports and are emerging from universities and polytechnics with ever higher qualifications. PhDs, you name it, there's nothing a Samoan hasn't been able to achieve in New Zealand. Not only in the academic world that people tend to ignore as they focus on what we're doing on the sports field, but I could say that we've done it well both ways. And I'm proud to say that Samoans in the last 60 years have made it happen in New Zealand and can stand tall and be recognised and, and respected. For many of the New Zealand-born Samoans, like the Pacific Cooperation Foundation's Chief Executive Meg Potasi, this year's a reason to be especially loud and proud about their Samoan heritage. She says it's also a year for many to discover or return to their family roots in Samoa. For me, Samoa is about a home base and a place where my father journeyed from to come here to New Zealand. So I feel quite strongly <laughs> that this is something that should be marked and, and that we should celebrate because it's part of who we are and the cultural identity of us as a generation, but also us as a generation of New Zealanders. The Labour MP for Māngere, Suat William Seal, says it's the same for Samoans all around the world. You now have people who are iconic names in sports and various fields in New Zealand, but also in Honolulu you've got a 
Mayor of Honolulu with Samoan ancestry. You've got football players in America. So, so it, it's a big, huge deal, not only for the government of Samoa, but the people of Samoa who are scattered throughout the world. The 50 years of Samoa's relationship with New Zealand since independence have come under the umbrella of a special Treaty of Friendship, also signed in 1962. It's the only treaty of its kind signed by New Zealand and commits both countries to work together to promote the welfare of the Samoan people. Samoa's Consul General in Auckland, Faolotoi Rupenapongi, says that relationship with New Zealand has played a very significant role in Samoa's development, especially in health and education. There's no doubt that the efforts and all the assistance that was given by New Zealand has uh, has made a lot of difference to the life of our people. And uh, I'm sure they it's going to be uh, remembered very well by our people as we celebrate this 50th and uh, we look forward to the continued relationship in the next 50 years. New Zealand's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Murray McCulley, says the relationship set out in the Treaty of Friendship is in good shape, formally and informally. It's uh, a good relationship government to government, but uh, unique also in the sense that uh, we've got something like 175,000 Samoans in Samoa, 135,000 Samoan New Zealanders. There's a family uh, sense about this relationship that makes it a bit different. And this is the map you and I were talking about, Karen, in terms of... Um the Ietonga that was gifted to Richardson and that has been signed by all the faithfulers. Leota Alice Meredith, the Samoan educator at the Auckland Museum, is giving guided tours of some of the museum's Samoan treasures as part of the 50th anniversary celebrations. She says many of the museum's artefacts tell the story of Samoa's struggle for independence, a history that she believes is linked through family stories and genealogies to every Samoan, no matter where they're born. So what is the relationship between New Zealand and Samoan, the people? The migration of our people, our culture, and what do we bring? Yeah, and that's what we're celebrating now. And what's the contribution of Samoans in New Zealand to Samoa? <laughs> Money. <laughs> Money and population. Money remitted from Samoans in New Zealand to family in Samoa is the backbone of Samoa's economy, the biggest source of foreign earnings. Samoa's Consul General Faolotoi Rupena says his government is well aware of the economic importance of New Zealand's Samoan population. The government is very thankful for their, their love to our relatives and families back home. And uh, it's, it's making up of what we have been sort of missing uh, since our terror industry was affected by the, uh, the terror plight. Samoa's second main source of foreign earnings comes from tourism. There again, Samoans from New Zealand are a mainstay, making up about a third of visitors. And Faolotoi Rupena says they spend a lot. Not only they have been remitting during the year, but as soon as uh, there's some sort of a, like a funeral or something back home, they always come back home and they will bring a lot of money with them. Papali Ipita Tauma, a community leader and elder of the chiefly Maliatoa family, credits the Treaty of Friendship with enabling more rapid Samoan immigration and settlement than would otherwise have occurred. He says that has cemented the family ties that maintain the flow of money to Samoa, defying predictions it would decline with the generations. I, I think without the Treaty of Friendship it would have been slower. But that Treaty of Friendship had allowed the quicker transfer by people from Samoa to here. And that developed thing here. And then the exchange with Samoa uh, you know, has 
given what's our boys as a country. Others reflecting on 50 years of the Treaty of Friendship see it as more of a one-way relationship in New Zealand's favour. Sua William Seo says the question of how Samoa has actually benefited from the treaty is common to discussions he's attended among Samoan elders. If the discussion starts heading towards the dawn raids, the errors of past administrators, the death that was caused, the killing of certain leaders, and then the Privy Council decision that was overturned, then there is a discussion now beginning to say, well, doesn't New Zealand then owe Samoa compensation for those wrongs? On behalf of the New Zealand government, I wish to offer today a formal apology to the people of Samoa for the injustices. Injustices arising from New Zealand's administration of Samoa in those earlier years and to express sorrow and regret for those injustices. We are truly sorry for what happened all those years ago. The then Prime Minister Helen Clark apologised at Samoa's independence celebrations in 2002 for errors under New Zealand's colonial administration. One in five Samoans dying of influenza in 1918 after an infected trading vessel was allowed to dock, the shooting of Mao independence marches in 1929 and the stripping of chiefly titles and deportation as a form of punishment. Samoa's Prime Minister Tuilaepa says his government had already moved on from the mistakes of the past. When Helen Clark came to deliver that uh, apology, I did say that there was no need because uh, we long forgave and forgot. But Sua William Seo says what's coming through in discussions on the 50th anniversary is that although the apology was genuine and accepted as such, from a Samoan point of view, it was just a first step and there should be more to come. If both sides were Samoan, there would have been a compensation discuss. There would have been the reciprocal gifting. But because the... Pakia uh, side did not understand the expectations of the Samoan government in those days, and it would have been bad manners for the other side to raise it. Nobody raised it. Immigration is the other contentious issue surfacing during discussions on the 50th anniversary, in particular the 1970s dawn raids against overstayers and the 1982 Citizenship Act. The Act overturned a Privy Council ruling that all Samoans born between 1924 and 1949 were New Zealand citizens, a ruling prompted by an appeal against an overstayer conviction. After years of unsuccessful appeals to successive New Zealand governments to scrap the Act, Anai Arthur Anai led a march on Parliament in 2003, as Radio New Zealand's Checkpoint programme reported. A 20-year-old law that denied thousands of Samoans New Zealand citizenship has been labelled racist, shameful and a blot on New Zealand statute books. A select committee of MPs today heard submissions on a 100,000 signature petition calling on the government to repeal the Citizenship Western Samoa Act. Hello for lava and welcome to you all here today. In 1982, Parliament, with the speed of lightning, passed the Citizenship Western Samoa Act that was racially biased. Anai Arthur Anai says the 50th anniversary should be used by New Zealand to correct the wrong done to the Samoan people with the Citizenship Act, although he no longer sees repealing it as the solution. What I want happening is that the Samoan people have the freedom of access to come to work, 
get their kids to school, etc. But they don't access the New Zealand welfare system in any way until such time they become a resident of New Zealand or a citizen. And so I just hope that the John Key administration will seriously look and say, OK, look, enough's enough, let's sort this thing out. What have we got to lose here? We're doing it in Australia without a problem, so let's fix it. But Samoa's Prime Minister Tuilaepa doesn't favour the same freedom of travel for Samoans to New Zealand that New Zealanders enjoy with Australia. He says some easing of access would be good, but not throwing open the borders. Because what will happen then is uh, there will be mass migration as what is happening in uh, Cook Islands, Niue, um, and of course uh, that will be affecting our own uh, developments. You see, you only need to uh, have 20 teachers leaving our country and that will be a big vacuum for our youngsters in school. For New Zealand's part, Murray McCulley says the Privy Council decision threatened Samoa's economic stability. He says the Citizenship Act, which the Samoan government supported, was a pragmatic solution and remains so today. While it's true to argue that on one hand that but for some of these uh, historical steps, uh, Samoans would enjoy the rights of citizens in New Zealand, or some of them would, it's also fair to say that would have created some headaches for them in terms of the ability to maintain a viable economy. So um, I think that we've found a middle course that suits both countries. A special protocol was added to the Treaty of Friendship in 1982, obliging New Zealand to consult Samoa on all immigration and citizenship matters. One issue under discussion now is New Zealand's recent failure to fill the 1,100 annual places set aside under the Samoa Quota Scheme for Samoans to apply for New Zealand residency. Samoa's Consul General Faulotoi Rupena says it's something his government has raised with New Zealand, although the reasons for the shortfall are obvious. The New Zealand economy is also feeling the, uh, the effects of the uh, global depression and I'm sure that's why it's pretty hard also to try and uh, get some of these work permits from some of the companies around here. Murray McCulley says the two countries have now agreed on how to overcome obstacles to the full use of the quota. There have been difficulties for people gaining uh, the employment opportunities that would give them the ability to pick up the place under the quota, that sort of thing. There are some ways in which the quota has been applied in terms of timetable that uh, are less flexible than would be desirable. So we, we've been working through those issues with them. The open borders debate does highlight the changing role of migration in the relationship between Samoa and New Zealand. Meg Potassi of the Pacific Cooperation Foundation says there's a shift from permanent immigration and the sending of remittances to a more flexible temporary movement of labour. She points to the recognised seasonal employer scheme which recruits Samoans to work for a limited time in agriculture or horticulture in New Zealand as a way to transfer money and skills to Samoa. So there has to be some thinking around, OK, where also might we have shortages in the skilled labour force? Um, you know, will we be able to get enough builders in Christchurch? <laughs> you know, are there other, other ways and means of making the most of either our existing immigration structure um, or in, encouraging more um, travel from the region? Samoa's Prime Minister Tuilaepa would like to expand the seasonal worker scheme beyond agriculture and horticulture. I have been asking the government to consider the possible extension to cover trades like plumbing, electricity, motor mechanic, so that our people who are graduated in these trades could come over, improve their skills 
for six months and then come back and uh, give us better quality service. There is also talk of using the RSC to provide Samoan workers to help in Christchurch, which Murray McCulley is keen to look at once the rebuild gets closer. He says New Zealand is also looking at expanding the scheme to provide support for Samoans returning home after seasonal work here. Partnerships uh, that see New Zealand skills provided to those who want to use the funds they've got to invest in establishing horticultural businesses of their own or some other form of uh, tourism or other enterprise there. And we're seeing some successes in that respect and I think that's an area that will grow. Samoa's Justice Minister Fiame Naomi Mata'afa says that return of skills to Samoa is already starting to happen. We're now seeing Samoans coming back as well and and, and bringing back with them skills and and resources to to help Samoa develop. And I think it's very important that we develop, you know, here for ourselves and, you know, lead a particular quality of life that's unique to Samoa. The 50th anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Friendship is on August the 1st and New Zealand's Prime Minister John Key is due to visit Samoa for the occasion. Samoa's Prime Minister Tuilaepa will make a week-long visit to New Zealand later in August for talks on the future of the relationship with Samoa. Separate from official talks, a series of community forums are being organised by Sir William Seal on the theme of Samoa Motayao, Samoa for Tomorrow to discuss the next 50 years of the Treaty of Friendship. Sua says the aim is to lead up to a meeting in December between the New Zealand and Samoan governments and the Samoan community here. And just say, well, 50 years ago, or maybe 98 years ago, we had we met, this is what happened. Well, let's meet again and decide what's going to happen in the next 50, 100 years. Samoa, really the beneficiaries of that legacy and the vision of that older generation. And now we've got to ask this generation ourselves, okay, well, what's our goal for the future? You know, and, and can we crystallise the legacy that we will leave behind for the next generation? I'm Karen Mangnall. And I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. The program's technical production was by Colette Jansen. Let's